podcast friends. My name is David Lee and you are listening to the Inspire Design Create podcast, giving freelance filmmakers a voice, sharing their stories and connecting the world of cinematography, commercial filmmaking and starting your own business together. Let's go. Clean check, clean check. What is going on friends? We are back with a brand new uh, podcast episode and this will be the last episode of 2023 looking back at 2023 it's uh definitely been the best year i have had uh since i started my journey into cinematography let me adjust this mic really quick head and neck is is uh feeling pretty good these days but sometimes you just you, know, you wake up and and just kind of been beaten up through uh working out or or whatever you know you've been going on Whatever's been going on through uh, through your your life, through your days, and maybe just on set, and it's taking a toll on you, right? Anyways, today uh, I wanted to go over uh, sort of all the things that we uh, usually do in these uh, year-end reviews, which is what uh, today is about. And uh, other than that, I would I just want to say that if uh, if you're in a situation where you know every year you aren't getting a little better, even if it's like you know, one to 5% uh, better, which is really good. Obviously, you're not going to get 100% better every year because that's just not, that's just unrealistic. But if you're getting like, you know, 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%, I would say better every year, uh, it's a good sign. That means that you're progressing in your career, uh, whether that be from the business perspective, whether that be from a skill set um, perspective, from a knowledge perspective, and, and everything underneath the umbrella of uh, being a freelance owner operator, right? So uh, what we're gonna go through today is pretty much like, not necessarily like financial numbers, but it's gonna be um, the actual uh, volume of work. It's gonna be um, items and equipment that have been uh, most uh, most used, most rented um, from the full spectrum of the gear that I own and the gear that probably you own. Uh, things that uh, I'm glad I got rid of. Uh, goals that I set for myself this year. Which um, which ones that I accomplished? Which ones that I uh, almost get to, or which ones that I not get to at all? And then also some um, some uh, foreseeing the future things, right? Based upon what I've done uh, this year, what I've uh, witnessed this year, being on set. All right. So uh, hopefully this will uh, this will probably be a long one. So, uh, again, if you need to take like a couple of times to listen to it or, you know, one long car ride or one short car ride, you know, um, I just definitely appreciate you uh, listening to this episode. Let's get straight into it because I don't know. I feel like that's just kind of how, how I do things these days, especially these podcasts. Right. It's like who wants to uh, I mean, I, I, I do. It's weird because I like listening to jibber jabber sometimes from from people on podcasts. And other times I'm like, man, just just give me just get straight, straight to the point. You know, so this is kind of like just what works for me based upon my time. So uh, let's go with uh, days, uh, working days. Right. So these will be days on set. This will be uh, pre-production days and then just the cumulative um, amount of, uh, of days that I have actually worked as a, uh, I guess you can, I guess I'm a full-time cinematographer, right? I, something like, something like that. I don't know. Right. I mean, you think if you're full-time, you're working, uh, what is it like 40 hours a week or so, something like, or no, is it 40 hours a week? Yeah. Like 40 hours a week, whatever it is. Right. Uh, being a full-time employee or something right now. But if you're a, um, if you're in my situation, you are your, your employer and you also are the employee, right? Okay. So, uh, days worked on on set, actual physical days, like being on set. Uh, for me this year was 50 days on set. Um, <clears throat> including that is, uh, again, just any, just actual working days. That's not location scouts or, tets or tech scouts, um, meetings, things like that. Just being physically on set. For me, 50 days on set, which 
is very, very low for, I, I would assume for many of you, right? Many of you, you're probably on set like at least 250, 300 days out of the year, right? You're, you're physically on set, right? But I, again, like I'll, I'll kind of get, you know, uh, I'll, I'll elaborate more on this uh, in a little bit. Okay, so uh, pre-production days uh, for me would be, uh, what, what is this? Hold on, let me, why did I not do the math here? Apologize, hold on, give me one second. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do the. I'm gonna do the, the the calculations here really quick. Okay. So actually, pre-production days were way more, right? I spent 108 days uh, pre-production. Now, out of those 108 days, 90 90 of them, give or take, like plus or minus, were the feature film. I spent roughly three months uh, pre-production on the uh, the feature film that I was on because it it, it was just a lot. VFX, um, breaking down the scenes. Uh, scenes being added, shots being added, shots and scenes being removed, um, you know, uh, multiple locations, multiple looks uh, from day interiors to night interiors and day exteriors, um, thinking, you know, where uh, where is the sun path going to be? Um, is it going to change? Because in California, we went from like, you know, overcast for like three, almost like four or five months into bright sunny days on the day that we were on the month that we were going to shoot, right? So I had to um, plan plan for that. A lot of pre-production for that. And then the other 18 days were basically uh, for the actual projects that I was on, right? So again, you, you kind of get to the point where, especially for like one day, two day shoots, uh, commercials and ads, um, corporate videos, you don't really need like a ton of pre-production, um, at least in the realm that, that I'm at. You kind of know exactly what you're gonna do. Um, Especially if you know like what the location is going to be, if it's going to be an interior or exterior. Um, for the most part, you don't need to spend too much time in pre-production. Obviously, you need a little bit just to make sure that you have the resources available, you have the crew available. Um, you know that okay, hey, if we're if we're going to be shooting um, some talking head stuff outside, uh, it's going to be you know broad daylight, whatever it is. You know, do we have access to at least a twelve by twelve or, or things things like that. Uh, so I don't spend too much time in pre-production these days because ballpark, I know, you know, what I need and, and where we're going to be. Uh, but I, I, if it's something very complicated, like, you know, multicam stuff, then yeah, I will spend more time uh, in pre-production, right? So that's kind of like the mode of operation uh, that I operate through these days, right? So total days, you know, working days, 158 days. Now that's, roughly half of a year of work, right? Because there's 365 days out of the year. And if you have a, a standard nine to five, eight to five job, right? You're working, um, I don't know, like minus minus the, the holidays you get, 350, 340 days out of the year, you're, you're typically working. Um, again, if you have vacations and, and PTO, right? Might, might be more or less than that. So you might ask yourself, how the hell do you survive? <laughs> how the hell do I survive um, with only working, uh, you know, essentially less than half a year? And, and it's been like that for the past couple of years. And uh, here's the way I look at it. Right. So previous to uh, I think I've said this in, in my maybe my first like episode of, of the podcast, like two or three years ago, uh, my previous job, I used to work as a, a manager of global operations for uh, the IT department of a engineering company, right? So this company made, um, uh, what, would, what would you call it? They made like integrated circuits. They basically made like small computer chips uh, for for like TVs, uh, for wireless devices, cell phones, right? You, so like Samsung, LG, 
And that's what I worked. I worked in the engineering uh, sphere, the semiconductor sphere for a couple of years. I used to work at one of the largest semiconductors in the world, Broadcom. So they made um, uh, they made like modems, they made integrated circuits for like Nintendo, for Apple, right? The iPhones and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, I used to I used to be sent all over the world to to uh, do a merger and acquisitions for different companies. We would acquire other companies. It was my job to integrate uh, the networking and, and all that, all that stuff. Right. So that's a long story short. OK. Uh, and I, I worked essentially like 24 seven. I really didn't have any any time off. I think also because I'm built that way, uh, I don't just genetically, I'm just built to like just work. And so it was, it was normal for me. I rarely took time off. Uh, when I did take time off, it was like maybe, uh, four or five days. And I literally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go anywhere. I would just be like, okay, I'm taking four or five days off. Don't fucking bother me. Um, I'm going to sit my ass and just sleep or whatever. Right. I just kind of re reset. So that was a previous life. And in, in that time frame, uh, I made, pretty good money. I made probably like including, um, other like, like, like residuals and things like that. I think my salary at the end of the, at the end of the day, like it was 2016 when I left my job, uh, I was making like just, like just shy of like a hundred, a hundred K a year. Right. Uh, let's say 90, I don't know, 95 or 96 or something like that. And the company was also was IPO. So we did have uh, restricted stock units or RSU. So they work similarly to like, um, to, a, uh, to like traditional stock units. If you were so lucky, uh, to get into the point where, uh, your, your, the company you work for is IPO and they, and they granted you stock units. But the thing with, um, uh, like restricted stock units is they take out the taxes already for you. So the company does all that stuff in the back end for you. You don't have to worry about it. Uh, when you do sell, uh, shares and you do, and you do sell stocks and stuff like that. Right. So anyways, I was making like, like just shy of like a hundred K right. Uh, this year, this year will mark essentially, uh, making roughly that same amount of money. I won't, again, I won't say, you know, more or less, but, uh, it definitely I have matched what I've made, um, in that previous job working 300 and, you know, like, like minimum 360 days, a year being on call 24 seven because I would, ha I would have to support uh, departments uh, throughout the world. And if you are familiar with that, uh, then, you know, different areas of the world are in different time zones. So by the time uh, 10 o'clock rolls around for us, a Pacific Standard Time, you know, folks in India are just starting their day. Folks in Israel are just starting their day. Um, folks in, in France are sending emails, you know. So uh, I didn't really have like uh, what you would call work-life balance. I just kind of worked, you know, and just moseyed along with with life and not really um, and not really enjoying the, the job anymore, not really enjoying the career, right? So if you think about it, it's like, okay, so I worked, you know, 150 days out of the year and I made essentially the same amount of money that I working in for, you know, large corporations and stuff like that, uh, working uh, twice and, and being, and having to work twice the amount. Right. So, um, again, like you have to kind of look at it in the, in the eyes of, do you want to work, work hard for the same amount of money or do you want to work less for the same amount of money? And now that I'm in this situation, I would rather work less and have that extra free time to do whatever the fuck I want to do, you know, call it whatever you want, self-development, uh, free time, vacation, um, family time, right? There's, there's so many things you can do with that extra days, um, rather than having to work your, your, uh, not, not like working your ass off because I feel like you do have to work your ass off. 
but uh, working it in, in a very efficient and a very intelligent manner. So that way you're not um, breaking your back at the end of the day for fucking nothing. Right. So that's where I'm at. Also, uh, on top of that is if you live in a state like California where they tax you literally to death, uh, you know, <laughs> figuratively and metaphorically, uh, the higher you get into different tax brackets. Again, this is different for every state. Every state's different, but California, you get taxed like a motherfucker. So even if you're making, you know, say uh, 250K a year, after all the taxes you have to pay between federal tax, state income, state income tax, all the sales tax, if you uh, own property, your property taxes, your uh, HOA, um, all that stuff. At the end of the day, you're 250. You you might be lucky if you're if you're making like you know 80 80k or 75k, you know, and that's just being generous. Or you're probably making like 60k at the end at the end of the year after you get taxed, right? So, um, now there are like tax incentives, and if you have a good CPA, they can help you uh, work around um, uh, many of those things to at least get a little bit more uh, money in the pocket at the end of the day. But like I said, especially if you, were, if you live in, in a high um, taxable state like California, making more doesn't necessarily mean that you're making more, right? Because at the end of the day, Uncle Sam's got to take a good chunk of that, right? At least half, like 47%. Uh, now it's probably with inflation, you're probably looking at like, you know, 50%, right? So whatever you're making uh, on paper, Divide that by half and that's actually what you're making, you know, and then you're like, oh, shit, I didn't know I didn't I didn't have all this extra money. It's like, well, now now, you know. Right. <laughs> so, again, um, this is and and this is to kind of tie into like so if, if you're not, you know, pulling, putting everything in one basket, which 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 I would uh, I would recommend is diversifying your income, your income streams. And then if you want to like set up like an LLC for one and then not an LLC for the other you can distribute your taxes so that way you're you're sort of uh working the system in your favor to not be taxed like you know all one thing and then you're fucking screwed <laughs> you know you're not screwed but you're just you're just like what the hell where's all my money at the end of the year right and you're like well because you, just the way the tax system works okay so uh this isn't like uh you know fuck the system or kind of whatever right it's just like well this is the system how can you work around the system uh, find little loopholes and just, you know, I, I'm not saying like, you know, don't don't pay your taxes. What I'm saying is there are certain things that you can do to um, uh, avoid being in a situation where you're just sad and depressed because all your money has gone back to the government. OK, that's that's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. All right. So, uh, again, recap, 158 days worked uh, between pre-production and being on set, 50 physical days on set. All right. Okay, let's move on to some more easier stuff to talk about. Um, most used equipment, right? So this is equipment that I own, that I have used um, more than any other equipment that I own throughout the year, right? So we'll go with uh, G&E first, I think, or just just electric. How about that? So lighting, uh, my most used lights were my LightMap Plus 3, my 4S500s, I own two of them. Uh, the Pavo Tube 230Xs, they are the four-foot um, Pavo Tube lights, the RGB WW. Uh, those lights actually have, have. Um, I was worried when I when I got them because, again, they are RGB WW. Uh, Aperture didn't have the Infinity Bars. The Amaran didn't have their Pixel Tubes yet. It was pretty much either that. It was the Pavo Tube 2s or the Titan Tubes, right? 
and tiring tubes I still love to this day. Um, but I, yeah, I've, I've grown to appreciate the Pablo tube, uh, twos, uh, internal battery battery life is pretty good. Um, the quality of life, the quality of lights, like the, uh, TLCI, the CRLS or the, the TLCI score is pretty good. Uh, and also you can control them wirelessly now with the app. The app works way better. The app works so much freaking better than their old stupid wireless hub thing that's just like annoying. I hate that thing. Uh, and then, um, and the hazer, you know, I don't have like a, like a big, a big, huge hazer. It's just one of those like, um, I, I don't even know what the hell it's called. It's a very like small and compact hazer really designed for like small living room or a room, you know? Uh, so perfect, which is most of the time, like kind of the environment that I, that I shoot in, right? So my most used lights, if you're looking at getting a, uh, if you're looking at upgrading your, your equipment, your lighting equipment, um, and you're like, man, you know, what would be the most financial, what would be the best financial sense for me? Uh, for me, a light map plus three, something in that realm, you know, could be Intellitech, uh, Amran, um, what were they called? The F-22s, um, Falcon eyes, they make, you know, similar, uh, light mat sizes, right? Uh, for me having a, a, uh, a light mat in that, um, availability of, of at least a bicolor unit, um, that can be, uh, powered via, via V mounts. Just, I mean, there's no brainer, you know, Forza 500s, again, the, those things have been been around for so long. They have the Mark II versions of them now. They have the, the bicolor versions of them now. Uh, and then they have like the 720, uh, which you can upgrade for. I, I think it is an incredible light. So again, having something that 500, 600 watt um, output, having two of them or three of them is great. And then some tube lights, right? Okay, most used lenses uh, for me this year has been my Sigma full frame primes. I own the 24, the 50, and the 85. And then also the Sony uh, G Master, the 70 to 200. Uh, great for dock work, great for run and gun kind of stuff, uh, multi-cam stuff where you have, you know, five cameras, six cameras, seven cameras, whatever it is. Uh, those have been my most used lenses. My Sigma Primes, I've owned them for uh, two, year, two years now. Uh, again, I paid cash for them and they have uh, made essentially almost, almost, I would say maybe like 70% of the money back. Uh, if you if you want to think in that realm, right? Again, because I had the capital ready for it, so I, it's not like I I um, had to finance them or anything like that. You know, they they were paid off essentially. You know, I mean, they were paid off, so now they're just making me money, right? Um, and yeah, that, that is it for again like most used equipment, right? So again, you're if you're thinking like, oh man, like you know, I would love to have a new set of Cine primes and and be able to add them onto um, the rental costs for my projects, um, or or any other lenses, right? What are you looking at? It depends on on the type of work that you're doing consistently, and what would benefit you. For me, a lot of the commercial stuff, the Sigmas have been great. Like any, every client I've worked with that have requested uh, Cine primes. They've all been fine with, with the Sigma Primes, you know. Um, you can also negotiate with them, or not negotiate them, but persuade them uh, intelligently if they were looking for, oh, man, we're looking for some little bit more character, you know, like um, you do have access to, like, Zeiss Super Speeds. Um, do we have access to... Um, maybe some cook as fours, whatever the case may be. And if the budget isn't there, well, it's like, well, hey, you know, we we can always use diffusion to make that look in camera. So that's your your pro mist, your uh, Hollywood black magic, your glimmer glass, your black satin, right? Filters, things like that. And you can show them previous work and and, and if they like it, cool. You know, then, then you go with it. And again, the Sigma Primes, I really do enjoy them because they are fast or they're, they're one, they're a one five if you need to, if you need to, use that uh the recent commercial that we did for uh for pioneer 
uh, we were doing some some pretty low light stuff, but I had him at a, at a two, um, not a one five for the feature film because we were again in a more um, in a more controlled environment. There were some of the nighttime interior stuff where you know, uh, shout out again to my my focus puller Sean Murphy. I had him at one five, and I was like, oh man, we got to do a couple of takes. But again, that sort of was the uh, environment that we were in, right? Okay, most rented equipment uh, that either again I rent on with my production when I'm hired for projects, uh, or when people ask me, "Hey man, I uh, I need a rental for whatever," you you know, like, uh, do you have it? I'm like, yeah, obviously, right. So the fir- the four main things I have rented out um, about this year have been my my tripod. I have the uh, out of all the tripods I have, the one that gets rinsed out the most that I use all the time is the uh, Sackler uh, Floatech 75, the ground the ground floor spreaders with the Activate head, and the what else? We have the Easy Rig, obviously Easy Rig Vario 5 with the Cinema Vest, um, and then the uh, production monitor. This could be like your 17 inch, your 22 inch, your 13 inch. Uh, for me, it's been the 1303 HDR, which has been like like a nice little middle ground for a lot of productions where uh, the 1303 is is good enough, and they can pipe out to like a larger client monitor. Which I've seen this year has you know people have just been bringing like um like a TV, you know, or like a like a like a desktop monitor, a 27 inch or a 34 inch, and they just out um, they they do like a HDMI output to the TV, uh, so that way they have a larger screen, right? And so the 1303 has actually been like like a bit of a of a sleeper monitor. Um, mine is kind of messed up though. I, I emailed Small HD last year and they they said I would have to like send it back into them, I think for free, but I don't know what it is now. <laughs> it's been like a year, but yeah, I have this weird thing where like one of my pages, um, the focus page, if you turn on the 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 uh, the peaking on the page. The, you can't turn it back off. I, I don't. I've updated. I've updated the firmware and all that kind of stuff, and it hasn't fixed it. Luckily, you can you can swipe to the other pages and and it works. But it's just anytime you turn on peaking, like it won't turn off. So you have to like turn off the monitor and turn it back on. So uh, other than that, the, the monitor has been been great. I loved it. Uh, yeah. So those are the most rented equipment again for either um, projects I have been on or projects where other people, colleagues of mine, have asked me for for the. Oh, actually, one last thing has been the uh, Tilta. Hydra Alien. So fun fact, uh, uh, I've owned the Hydra Alien for like a like a, uh, basically a year now, right? I think over maybe 13, 14 months. And the funny thing is I have actually not, even, I've used the Hydra Alien before, right? That's why I bought it. But as far as like my own stuff, I, I have actually not used my own Hydra Alien since I bought it. Funny thing, right? Is I've rented that thing out to the point where it's paid its it's paid itself off, right? And I keep getting requests for the age for the Hydra Alien. So hey, maybe there's a piece of gear that you're gonna own in the near future. You don't even fucking use it, but you get you rent it out and you're making money off it, right? So how great is that? All right. Okay, moving on. Uh purchases I regret. Now, this is a funny thing, right? Because every year in the last seven years I've been doing this. There has been at least one piece of equipment where I'm like, oh, fuck, man, I, I really regret buying this fucking thing, you know? I looked at all, I I, I create a uh, Excel sheet um, that's broken out into two lists uh, just for, yeah, um, I guess, like, sake of ease, right? One of them is my major purchases throughout the year, and the one is just general purchases. And then I, and then I break them down based upon, like, uh, camera, media, uh, camera utility, uh, grip, electric, accessories, software, uh, right, stuff like that. And every year there's at least one thing. I, I looked and looked and looked at both of my lists this year. And actually there wasn't a piece of year I purchased this year that I regretted. 
So, you know, hey, that's a win, right? I, I don't think that's going to happen every year. But uh, I guess what that that informs me, and hopefully it'll inform you, is really take into account every year, right, uh, going into the next year, is, hey, what do I actually need for the business? What do I, you know, would what, what are some of the things that I would like to have and how can you separate them, right? So for me, uh, oh man, these dogs, these dogs are going crazy. My neighbors have like two Huskies and they just go at each other. Like, like literally like every day, they're just like vicious little things. Uh, they're, they're really sweet dogs, but they go at each other. Anyways, um, yeah, so that that tells me that I, I have been on point with purchases that I actually need for the business and things that I have wanted for the business. Um, again, wants are like sort of those those nice to haves. Needs are like necessary to grow the business and to um, continue to be called for jobs, right? Uh, so that is purchases I regret. None of them, right? Uh, gear, I'm glad I'm sold. There's only one piece of gear that I'm glad I sold this year, which is the Mobi Pro. Uh, I still do enjoy the Mobi. Owning the movie and operating the movie, I fucking do not enjoy the movie pro at all. Uh, I'd rather much you know hire a, a a movie operator or gimbal operator with their movie pro package and and get them the money, get them the the rentals. Right, uh, the movie was great for. Uh, we did the commercial last year, mentioned for change. We we took it to the film festivals. We won best commercial, best cinematography, right? So it was great to have that because I was rocking the Komodos with the Atlas Orions. Uh, this year we used the Movi um, a few times on the on the feature film, like uh, two or three shots we needed the Movi. Uh, I used it on my film on Drowning Heart, right? But again, it's one of those things where it's just, it takes so much time to prep. Um, balancing it is a fucking disaster. You need like, again, you need like sometimes 10 minutes just to balance a thing and, and and something where you have to practice it over and over again to to learn um to learn the balance so in in retrospect like was it did i learn something from from owning a movie pro uh, absolutely you know i got way better more efficient and faster balancing gimbals right ronin 2 um rs2 rs3 but I'm glad I sold it because it was it was just a piece of gear that I wasn't able to really get rentals on um, because there's 5,000 Movi operators in, in, in Los Angeles, right? And they all own, own a Movi Pro. So I'm glad I am sold that. If you're in that same boat where you're like, oh man, do I buy Ronin 2? Do I buy Movi Pro? Uh, unless you actually really want to work as a gimbal operator or for your shoots as the owner operator where you're doing a lot of gimbal stuff and, and you can... Uh, you're at the point where you can always have the rental for the Movi Pro or Ronin 2 and also the the day rate for it, right? Your 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 day rate as as the cinematographer and also if you're if you're operating the Movi, you have to factor that into account. You know, you you have to combine either either of them equally or to some sort of extent where you're getting um, more a higher day rate because essentially if you're not hiring a gimbal operator, then you are the gimbal operator and you need to pay people need to pay for that service, okay? And so let's talk about some of the goals that I had for 2023, uh, the main ones. I usually try to get at least four to five on uh, my vision board. You can call it whatever you want. That's just what I call it because it's sort of, you know, the the, the vision for the future, right? So anyways, uh, the first goal that I had was to uh, write and shoot um, all of the the Drowning Heart uh, short film that I that I directed, wrote, and produced. Uh, and we only got to part two. Uh, it was more of a funny thing because the, the goal was to shoot part two as a as a POC or a proof of concept and then use that as um, uh, sort of like 
ammunition, I guess, to use as marketing material and do a, a Kickstarter and get funding for the rest of the uh, the film. And unfortunately, I didn't get the um, uh, third party funding that I was looking to get to complete part one and part three. Um, but, you know, sort of a win, uh, I think for me is being able to at least get, you know, one part of it done, which is fantastic. We took it to the um, it's it'll be in a couple of film festivals for 2020. Uh, for uh, the the only film festival that I was able to get it into before the end of the year, uh, it's a pretty uh, tight uh, time frame when you're trying to get uh, film your film into a film festival. But we took it to the International Independent Film Awards based in uh, Los Angeles, and, and again we won uh, best narrative short, best uh, best choreography, which is fantastic. So again, I would call that a accomplishment. Um, you know, again, we didn't get part one or part three done, but I'm looking to shoot at least part one next year. Um, and something I've been I've been writing for a while. Uh, I had this idea for a feature film, and I have a I have like 60 percent, sixty five percent of the outline done. Uh, I definitely have enough for like a synopsis or um, yeah, for like a, for a synopsis and looking next year to uh, to hire a writer to complete this feature film idea that I have that, that's unrelated to uh, a Johnny Hart, different, a different story altogether. But next year, I do want to at least uh, shoot part one. So saving up and, uh, and we'll see, I'll probably put in like, um, it'd be nice to at least put in just half of half of the funding for part one for Johnny Hart and then get some funding for the rest of it. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the next, uh, was it next goal I have were uh, my gross profits for the end of the year. So again, I matched, I, uh, I did, uh, exceed what I was looking to get. Um, and, and if anything, if, as long as I can match what I did, uh, the previous year, you know, obviously you don't want to, you don't, you don't, you don't want to be making less money. So I was able to, um, uh, exceed, the, the expectations that I had for, for this year, which is great. And then next year, you know, a little bit more. And then the following year, a little bit more. And we, we hopefully get to a certain point where, um, you know, you just find a nice, a nice, comfortable, uh, happy medium. All right. Third goal I wanted to do was sort of like if, you know, if I, if it goes, uh, if, if it happens, great. If not, not a big deal. I wanted to do um, a really cool car spec, something like a scene from Fast and Furious, like, you know, the, the like an homage to the old, uh, illegal street racing days that I kind of grew up in. You know, I grew up in high school was like, I think Fast and Furious 1 had came out when I was, um, yeah, maybe like a junior in high school or a sophomore in high school. Uh, and if you're in Southern California, some of these old uh, tuner shops were so big, like um, uh, Robocar in, in Walnut, City of Walnut, everyone went to Robocar. You know, all my homies had either like a Honda Accord, Honda Civic, Acura Integra. Uh, one of my homies, Cliff, he was the only one I, I knew that owned um, a, a GSR, an Integra, uh, an Integra Type R, like the, like the US version of the Type R Integra, the the DC, um, the DC, DC2 Integra. So anyways, you know, I grew up in that, in that, um, uh, phase, I guess, or that, 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 that time. Right. And I wanted to show like a car spec, like a really cool, um, a really cool, like racing, you know, and I had an opportunity, uh, well, I was, I was, I was baking on hopefully getting, um, uh, an airstrip cause I have, I have a homie who uh, does, uh, car auctions and he had uh, mentioned to me that he might have access to like an airstrip. And I was like, like, a, like an airstrip or like planes land. He's like, yeah, an airstrip. Uh, somewhere, somewhere in, in Orange County, I think. Um, and unfortunately things didn't go through. So I was like, ah, that would have been fucking awesome, man. To have like a race on an airstrip, right? So I think because of that, I had the feature film, I had my film and then, uh, jobs coming up. So I was like, you know what? Car spec, 
we we can wait till next time, you know. So I don't know. It's it, it's it was on the list for this year. Again, I didn't I didn't make it, so we'll see if it goes back on the on the uh, goals for for next year. Um, maybe you know what? Maybe 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 just don't have the airstrip. How about that? I mean, that could shoot like a really cool car spec in the mountains or something like that. So uh, so we'll see. I uh, wanted to get uh, again just just um, more days on set, even if it was like you know 20, 30 more days, and um, I believe. We didn't match that because last year I think I only had like, I think last year was a some somewhat slow year again not not super slow. Um, I think I was I think I was on set maybe like 30, 40 days or something like that. So again, we did increase that by at least like fifteen or ten depending on, on whatever the hell the number was last year. I I should really keep track of this stuff. So I get more days on set, so accomplish that. Uh, and I wanted to get more interviews on the podcast, but. It's one of those things where it's like I, I have I have this list of people I want to reach out to these like cinematographers and producers and then it's like oh hey you know job comes up oh hey pre production comes up uh, or um, uh, life stuff happens you know maybe I have to go travel I have to go do a tech scout uh, or sometimes I just get to a point where it's like you know I also got to get some episodes out and trying to coordinate people's um, schedules can be tricky and I'm not the the, the very what's the word uh i'm not the very best at that right so i'm hoping that uh next year 2024 we can actually get some interviews some solid interviews on the on the podcast and, and that'd be great all right so again that was a goal that i didn't i uh, wasn't able to achieve this year so just being transparent with you let's see moving on if you hear some clicking clicking that's just my mouse i'm, I'm trying to make sure everything's organized okay so uh last two sections is uh the first one uh, first of the last two is where do I get work, right? Uh, for me, it is from directors that I've worked with in the past, producers that I've worked with from uh, from the past, and also my colleagues, you know, like uh, gaffers, um, other cinematographers, cam ops, first ACs, um, you name it. <clears throat> you know, crew that I, that I have met this year and directors and producers from previous years. That's how I get my work, you know. Uh, every now and then in like a blue moon, I might get something from uh, Staff Me Up. <clears throat> I still have the subscription to Staff Me Up, but I'm like like one of the OG members. I forget how much the, that's like $100 a year. I think now it's more because oh, everything is now more. But every in the blue, every now and then in the blue moon, I'll, I'll get hit up uh, for either like like an ad or um, like a doc thing from Staff Me Up. Uh, again, it, it's it, I used to get hit up a lot more, um, but as as time has gone on, I've I've kind of like moved away uh, from from that. But again, it's like a hundred bucks a year, not a huge thing. If if uh, if the project is right, uh, if, if if it's a, if it's a cool gig, then you know I'll do it. But other than that, I would say like ninety yeah ninety nine percent of my uh, work comes in from just previous uh, my my network that I've grown. So it could be adding new producers, new directors. They they, they contact me. Uh, that we stay in touch via like Instagram. Uh, and again, I I never gotten a job on from social media before. Uh, I know other people have. I haven't. So uh, your your experience may be different. But yeah, for me, it's just building a solid network. It's uh you know even if I'm not coming on as a cinematographer, if it's like a, a smaller shoot and they need a gaffer, uh, I, I can bring my stuff or we rent equipment right. And then from there, I network with other people. Like you know, network with either either I know I'll, I'll, I usually know the cinematographer at that point because they're the one calling me in. But like the director or the producer. Uh, or the like the key the key grip if it's someone that I'm not working uh, I'm not used to working with uh, maybe it's art department or hair and makeup right it's great to to network with people because they can um, they can continue to build up the sort of like the the layers 
the 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 structure of a house, right? You have like your foundational layer, and your network is essentially your foundational layer where you keep building, you keep building, you keep building, until one day you're I don't know you're fucking like you know a fade and Papa Michael and you're shooting uh, uh, Ford versus Ferrari or something like that. I don't know, right? I'm just going off on tangents. But anyways, that's how I get uh, my my work, and that is how I consistently get my work. Uh, I don't have an agent. I don't know if I made an episode yet on why I don't have an, um, talking about agents and things like that. But um, yeah, long story short, I, I met a cinematographer like this year, I, th- I this year or last year or something. I think it was last year. And uh, feature film DP, he's done a bunch of stuff. I think he did the last movie that Bruce Willis uh, was casted in before, you know, unfortunately now uh, Mr. Willis is um, not doing, not doing too good health wise. So um, best wishes to him and, and his entire, uh, his entire family. But uh, that being said, um, yeah, he, he does a lot of feature films and I asked his opinion on, on agents and, and long story short, he said, man, you know, his agent probably gets him like, you know, one job in a blue moon, right? Other than that, it's like, hey, the directors, the producers that you're working with, they they keep calling you back as long as you do good work and, and you're open-minded and you're willing to adapt and, and provide new insight, you know, they'll call you back, you know? And you, and you meet new directors, new producers, because say you, say there's a, a job uh, and the, the DP can't do it, then maybe that DP will refer... Uh, you to the production, right? So it kind of goes in in that in that realm of uh, of thinking. Okay, last section is something new that I, I I'm uh, kind of excited for, but but we'll see how it goes, right? So this is like crystal ball segment, right? Crystal ball, obviously, it's like what are you foretelling for the future, right? For me, I think the three biggest things that I think will happen, uh, really beginning next year, and you know, two of them have already happened. But one of them is virtual production. Uh, I have been on virtual production sets this year, and I I can definitely say that there are a lot of studios popping up. Um, I have a friend. Um, fuck, what's a uh, what's his name? Um, God, why am I blanking out right now? Uh, Troy, Troy. He he's a, a great uh, great gaffer. Uh, he has like a five five ton, a three ton, and a one ton. He's out in the San Gabriel area, but he has a small studio that's like I think just a little smaller than Cinepax in LA. He has a volume wall again. Cinepax has a wall. Um, Orbital Virtual Studios. Uh, my friends over there, Mark Paletti and and uh, and Walder, they um, they they work at Orbital Virtual Studios. They have huge. They have the the, the curved screen and a huge you know forty by twenty screen right. And there's more and more volume walls coming out. Uh, that are that are being like studios, right? Studio spaces, and I think what everyone's doing is like because again, there still is no uh, workflow. There is no standardized workflow for virtual production. Like Airy, Sony, um, Company Three, like all the big all the big studios and post production houses. They don't, there is no workflow for virtual production yet. I think I think eventually there there will be one, but as of right now, there there is no standardized workflow for virtual production. So everyone is doing their own thing. Which means everyone's pretty much you know charging whatever they, they think is 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 uh, accurate right or, or valuable, and then there's other uh, companies, other studios that are trying to uh, allow the barrier of entry to virtual production to be a lot less than it is right now because you know a virtual production studio by the, just renting out the studio alone, depending on how big the wall is, the volume wall is. You're looking at like ten thousand dollars a day just just to rent out the studio. That doesn't include uh, any any lighting that doesn't include the Unreal tech that doesn't include troubleshooting, you know, all that stuff costs extra. Or it doesn't cost extra, but those are the costs, right? It's just additional 
uh, additional cost for what you want. So, you know, you're looking at 10 grand a day just to rent out a studio. Like that's literally it, just to rent out a studio, you know? So I think uh, we'll see more virtual production studios popping up throughout the US and throughout the world. So uh, again, I don't think it'll replace green screen, blue screen setups because they're they're still valuable and they will still at the end of the day be, uh, I think probably a little bit less expensive because now the the green and blue screen studios have to compete with uh, the, the virtual production studios. So uh, I don't think it'll be drastically cheaper, but you will so I think you will start seeing um, traditional uh, chroma key and, 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 and those types of studios lowering their prices just a little bit, you know, just to compete with uh, the virtual production studios. The next thing is uh, mid-tier budgets are pretty much gone. You know, I, I feel like now it's either you're working uh, low-tier budgets and then top-tier budgets, you know, or high-tier budgets. So, you know, you, you're either working like 100 grand um, and plus uh, budget for a commercial or for ad for a campaign, uh, or you're working like, you know, I don't know, maybe like the fifth, fifth, like 20, 15 to 20, uh, yeah, like like 15 to 20 K and below, you know, like there is no, there used to be a lot of like the middle ground, like that middle, like 20 to like a hundred, there used to be a lot of that work. Uh, and then COVID happened and it just kind of squished all that out. Now it's like, you know, maximizing profits and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, I, I, I do feel like, you know, 2024, you're going to see pretty much all the mid tier budgets, like almost vanished. There is just going to either be the high tier budgets or the low tier budgets. So, um, I don't know where, where, where we can fix that, but I think that's just kind of how it is. <clears throat> it's always nice to have options, right? You have like a low tier, a middle tier and, and a high tier option. Three options is great. You don't need like 10, you know, but if you have like three, that that's perfect. Um, so I hope that, I don't know, something in the industry and in the economy can get us back to at least having mid tier budget. So things are more balanced out. And then my last, uh, crystal ball, um, foretelling is I think Sony's going to be the new king of the hill when it comes to uh, the standard cinema camera. Now, if you look at the last couple of feature films, like, you know, $50 million, $100 plus million, minus anything that's IMAX or film, uh, it's been shot on Venice, Venice 1, Venice 2, and whatever, you know, BEC camera stuff, right? Um, now, that's not to say that there aren't still a lot of the, the big name films that were shot on like, you know, Mini LF or... Um, uh, the V Raptor or the Monstro, right? Still a lot of that out there. But I think as a whole, if you look at a lot of like, like even like the, a lot of the original series, a lot of them have been shot on like, you know, Venice, Venice too, man. Like uh, feature films, all of them, right? Have been like, have been this, this, uh, Sony has just done a great job, right? They, they've brought an affordable cinema camera and, and it took them years because they had like the F5, they have 55, they have 65, right? All their old cameras, that were oh that were pretty good you know um but again they they just weren't like the alexa or they weren't um the 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 naming closure of like a red but then venice came out I was like, oh dude this this thing is this is a nice ass camera this sensor is so beautiful you know and with the venice 2 to have like an 8.6k full frame sensor um with all the all the bells and whistles like internal raw right um and then now with the brano coming out i feel like I feel like if you, if you look at some of the some of the uh, specs to prices for even like a mini and not even the mini LF, like the old mini well a, a full mini with all the licenses and a full package still costs more than what a Brano is going to come out uh, for brand new right? without having to add stuff. Right. Especially the media on the Brano CF Express type B is 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 crazy. Right. Um, 
uh, crazy as in like like a good crazy. You're like, whoa, this it only uses CF Express B. Like that's awesome, you know. And you don't need like on the Venice. You don't you you need the X. Uh, God, what is it? The A A X. The AX7 like extension unit that's what allows you to do like the high frame rate license and also the um, the the raw license, um, and again it's just like another attachment you have to have right. But anyways, that being said, I feel like Sony with with their Venice to uh, the Rialto for it as well as the Brano coming out, um, the uh, the popularity of like the FX6, the FX3. Uh, I think we are uh, due soonish for like, for a either Mark II of the FX9 uh, or the FX6. I feel like it, I feel like if Sony were, were going to pick one, I I would honestly as as an FX9 owner, I would rather have uh, like an FX6 Mark II, to be honest, because the the, the FX6 and nine are two different cameras. They really are two different cameras. They're, they're two different sensors, but at the end of the day, you can still do a lot with the FX6, with the high frame rate modes, with the uh, the dual base ISO being a lot cleaner than on the, the than on the FX9, right? The FX9, I get it is built for like your your sole owner operator with the the dual XLRs, um, with the um, uh, God, what is it? The uh, the Super 35 one to one crop from your full frame sensor, which is what I which is what I love about the the FX9, honestly, like, I mean, again, I, I like having two XLRs. It's great in built-in camera, which is why I want to get the Brano because it has two built-in XLRs. But, you know, they both have variable NDs. Um, they both have an E-mount. Um, and the FX6 is a lot easier to rig onto a gimbal than an FX9 is. So, you know, if Sony is coming out with a new a new um, FX camera, I do hope that it is that, that is it is a FX6 uh, Mark II and not, a, not an FX9. I feel like there really isn't a point to making a Mark II of the FX9. And if Sony does make Mark II, it's going to be like, like they're going to barely do anything to it. Like the FS7, a Mark I and the Mark II, the only thing they added was a variable ND, which again is great, but it's like, okay, cool. Like, like that, that's all you got. Like, like you gotta give me more than that, you know? So uh, that's my crystal ball segment. All right, friends, I hope you guys enjoyed uh, this episode. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the support you've, uh, all of you guys have been giving me the past few years that this podcast has been out and I will continue to upload weekly episodes as best as I can. 2024 definitely will be uh, more consistency and hopefully more insights into the business, right? Uh, on top of that, little little news, uh, I um, I did find a new, um, what, what would you call it? Like, like audio subscription service, right? Because something that, again, making content again on YouTube, I'm like, oh man, I forgot, I, I, I need like music and, and audio and stuff, you know? So you have, again, the, the plethora of, of different audio subscriptions out there, but I did find one uh, that my, my good friend, Robert uh, Rob Machado from Machado Visuals uh, uses called Audio. It's like audio with, with two eyes. And uh, the folks, uh, the good folks at Audio, have reached out to me. So we are we are working together to create uh, some some great content. Uh, I will leave a link in the description if you want to check out Audio. Uh, there is a, uh, a little bit of a um, I think it's a it's a it's a discount uh, or like a, like a sub membership thing um, for uh, for Audio. Uh, you could try it out uh, again, risk free. You're not gonna have to pay like you know like a year, but you can you can try it out. Uh, for me, out, out of all the ones I've used them all, I have used them all, and I still use not all of them but i still use use some of them right uh audio for me has has been um has been a really a really nice change of pace right 
the UI I like, the uh, the variety I like. I like being able to to categorize and search for certain tracks in it, right? So if you're still in the space where maybe you're creating content for your own uh, brand, your own personal brand, maybe you're still doing post-production for your clients and you need uh, sound effects, you need um, uh, OST, like original, well, not necessarily original source, but you need uh, music, licensed music that you can use for advertising and marketing. Definitely check out audio. Again, I will have a link in the, uh, the show notes so you can check it out. <clears throat> Other than that, and the year, baby, we made it one more, one more year and, and, and much to be uh, thankful and grateful for. If you like this episode, please rate it on Apple Podcasts. I would appreciate it. Again, we are also on Spotify and you probably know that if you're listening to it on Spotify. Um, again, share it with your friends, your homies, your homets. I would, I would, I would really, really appreciate it. And other than that, you know, I hope you guys are having a great day, a great weekend, and I will see you in 2024.